Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Are you ready for the word this morning? Someone say yes. I need all your help preaching today. Um, I, I don't normally beg, but I will beg a little bit this morning. Uh, we like to call this place a hollaback church, meaning that um, I'm not the only one preaching this morning. Y'all are preaching with me. So uh, if you hear anything even remotely inspiring, just go ahead and throw in an amen, a come on, a that's good, a preach it ethnically ambiguous boy, whatever you got in you, and I will take it because... Uh, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be a fun bit of content today. Um, if you are new and you're joining us for the first time, we just started a new series last week called Heart Attack, where we are talking about some of the most common enemies that present themselves against our heart. Uh, whether you realize it or not, if you are a believer today, uh, there is an attack taking place on your heart. The enemy is after your heart. Yes, even if you are a vegan with low blood pressure that runs 10 miles a day, there is a heart attack coming. Which, by the way, I tried. Uh, not the 10 miles a day thing, because I'm not a psycho, uh, but uh, the vegan thing. Tried it for four days, failed miserably, because I love bacon. Hallelujah. But boo. Thank you, Jazzy. The uh, resident vegan in the house, front row, holding it down for you and clearly none of your friends. Okay. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I love vegans. All are welcome in the house of the Lord. We'll throw a big potluck with meat for you later. Um, but there is this attack coming against your heart, and here's why. The enemy knows that if he can infiltrate your heart, he has the ability to decimate your future. He, he can take you down a road that you do, do not want to go down. And so we've been looking at this scripture in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It's our main scripture for this series. And uh, I hope you memorize it over the next couple of weeks because it's such an important one in this walk of faith. It says, guard your heart above all else because it does, in fact, determine the course of your life. Keep your heart guarded. Keep it blocked. Don't let the enemy get some seeds in there because what gets in your heart will ultimately determine the direction of your life. And so last week we talked about the fact that there is this hardness, this callousness that tries to get into our heart, make us cold towards the things of God. And we preached a message called The Cure to a Calloused Heart. So if you were not here and you didn't catch that one, uh, go ahead and check it out on our website, podcast, on the YouTube. I think it'll help you. Um, but I made a statement in, in the sermon last weekend that I would like to make again this morning, especially as it pertains to today's content, uh, because uh, today we're going to be having a bit of an awkward chat. Um, here's what I said last week. I said, the way I see it, my job over the next few weeks is to be your spiritual cardiologist, your heart doctor. And I would like to point out anything in your life, any symptomatic things in your life that might be leading you somewhere you do not want to go. And sometimes when you're at the doctors, things get a little bit awkward, right? Anyone else get really awkward around their doctor besides me? Just, no, you guys are all normal around your doctors. Okay, it's a personal issue for me. Uh, I know that we have some doctors here in the house, and if you come to the Father's house and this is your home church, thank you so much for coming, uh, especially if you give. Um, and uh, <laughs> I don't mean this to be disrespectful in any way, shape, or form, but sometimes you doctors just make me feel really anxious and really nervous because I feel like I'm constantly in trouble around the doctor. Like, I feel like I've always done something wrong. You ever been to the doctor's office before and they start asking you those questions that are on the piece of paper and you just immediately feel like you're on trial? They're like... Uh, okay, so um, how many hours a week do you exercise? And you're like, um, uh, five. Oh, five? No, not five. No, just ten. Ten hours a day. Ten hours a day is what I exercise. Every single day, 50 hours, 70 hours a week, that's what I do because I'm 
I'm the bastion of health. That's what I am. Okay. Uh, have you ever drank any alcohol this week? Um, I'm sorry, what? Can you repeat the question? Uh, how many glasses of wine? I don't even know what wine is. I'm sorry. I just... Have you ever done anything unhealthy ever? Like, I, I always feel awkward in front of the doctor. True story. I waited 15 years to have a physical. My wife has been asking me for years now to go back to the doctors and get a physical just to make sure uh, I'm okay because uh, she has some, some concerns, clearly. Uh, but uh, I finally went after 15 years because I hate those conversations. I hate that awkward feeling in the doctor's office. And I always feel like I'm more sick when I left than when I showed up. Like, I feel like they've convinced me that something is wrong with me before I go. Uh, but turns out I'm okay. But here, here's the deal. The reason the doctor is willing to have the awkward conversation, uh, the reason they're willing to investigate and make things a little bit weird in the doctor's office is because they want to make sure that there aren't any symptoms in your life that are leading you someplace you don't want to go. They're trying to catch it head on before you end up in destruction, before you end up back in the hospital having to have an operation or something even worse because you didn't pay attention to the symptoms along the way. And so if I'm supposed to be your doctor for the next couple of weeks, your spiritual heart doctor, then I have to be willing to embrace the awkwardness and have some difficult chats if I truly don't want you to end up somewhere you don't want to be. And such is the case this morning, because today we're going to have a bit of an awkward chat. I would say that um, the subject matter for this morning is the most awkward subject in the entire Christendom church preaching topic arena. I have the unfortunate privilege of talking to you about money today. Yeah, did you feel that? <laughs> I did. It's great. All three of you that are excited. Yeah. I don't like talking about money. And, and you don't like it when I talk. By the way, it's not just awkward for me, like, or for you. It's awkward for me as well. Like, I don't like having these conversations. And you don't like it when pastors talk about it. And people get funny when you talk about money. Like, you can just feel the room tighten up and clam up a little bit. The second you say that word. That's the reason, by the way, that today, which is our 14-month anniversary, as of today, I have never preached an entire message on money because I don't like talking about it. It's not fun. I tried to convince myself probably a dozen times this week to find something more exciting to preach about. Like, let's talk about identity or the grace of Jesus and how he loves the whole world and something fun. But here's the reality. You cannot talk about issues of the heart without discussing money because the two are absolutely inseparable. Jesus talked a lot about money for that very reason. In fact, one out of every four of Jesus' sermons were about possessions and money and the way that we handle them here on earth. 25% of his teachings. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if you came to a church where they talked about money once a month? Hey guys, it's first Sunday of the month. You know what we're talking about? It's Money Sunday. That would be the least attended Sunday all month long. Like everybody would know, don't bring your friends on the first Sunday of the month. The pastor always talks about something awkward, come the second Sunday, but you know, please don't, don't come on. The, by the way, if you're here today and it's your first time, um, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's not normally like this. Just come back next week and it'll be at least another 14 months before we talk about this again, okay? But like no one likes to talk about it. But the reason Jesus talked about it so much is because he understood that the way we handle our possessions and the way we handle our money has a lot to say about the condition of our hearts. So we have to talk about it. If we're gonna talk about a heart for Jesus, we have to talk about the way we handle our finances. So 
Let me offer all 73 of the disclaimers and uh, the ground rules for the next couple of moments because the second I say we're gonna talk about money immediately, you've been preconditioned to question my motives, okay? So let's just get some stuff out of the way right up front. Number one, the church is fine. We don't need any more money. We're not broke. We're not like, you know, not gonna make it if next week if you don't give and then we pay our rent. And we're good, okay? Yeah, that's worth celebrating for sure. We got money in savings and people have been generous and, and we can afford to pay our bills. So this is not some like subtle plea to go, hey, if you don't pay the bills, then this place is shutting down. Like, that's not it. Number two, I don't stand to make any personal gain out of teaching this message. Because I know that some people like question that like, why does the pastor dress so nice? I had these clothes before I ever showed up here, okay? <laughs> I sold an organ to buy this, all right? <laughs> my kids' organs. Um, <laughs> number three, this is not some, some subtle attempt to capitalize on consumer patterns in the month of November, because whether you know this or not, although you probably do because you see the commercials, November is the most generous month of the year. People give more money away in the fall than any other time during the year. So this is not my attempt to like, you know, hey, we'd like a piece of the pie that you're going to give away. That's not it at all. And lastly, and probably most importantly, I promise you right now that I will not use guilt or shame into forcing you or compelling you to make some kind of decision to give Jesus money by telling you if you really loved him, you know, he went to the cross, the least you could do is tie it to the church. Like, that's not how I roll. And in fact, that's not how Jesus rolls. Guilt is a horrible motivator because it produces temporary results. Love, on the other hand, produces lasting results. And so we're not gonna approach this from a position of guilt and shame. We're gonna look at how much Jesus loves us because love has a lasting, compelling effect. Here's what we're gonna do for the next couple of moments, very simple. We're going to look at the words of Jesus. We're gonna see what he has to say about our possessions. And then we're gonna give the Holy Spirit permission to speak to our hearts and change anything in us that's necessary. And if you be willing to do that, and if I'm willing to do that, I think that we'll have a great time together today. Does that sound like a plan? Come on, you could do a little better than that. Sound like a plan? Okay. It's the longest introduction ever to a sermon, all right? All the disclaimers are out of the way. So keep your hands and feet inside the sermon and uh, disembark safely when you leave, and we'll have a great time. All right. We're going to look at a parable for the next couple of moments, and it's in Luke chapter 12, if you have a Bible. Uh, the parable in, or parables in scripture are fictional stories that Jesus tells to display a spiritual truth. Jesus told stories everywhere he went because he understood that if he told a story, his audience could see themselves in the story rather than just preaching dead religious thoughts. And so he preached all the time with stories. By the way, that's why we tell stories all the time here at the church, which we're criticized for sometimes. Hey, Jesus did it. So if you don't like it, you could take it up with him. Uh, so today we're going to take a look at this parable that he, uh, he preaches in, in Luke chapter 12. And here's the backdrop. Um, for the last chapter, all throughout 11, he's been talking about money to the religious leaders. And then he switches gears because a crowd has kind of developed. And he begins to address the crowd. And in the middle of the crowd, there's a guy who pipes up. And he asks Jesus a rather awkward question about inheritance and money. And all of the attention now is on this one guy. And so Jesus, in order to address this guy, but honestly a bigger issue that existed in the crowd, uh, he tells this little story. So in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. 
Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough to store all my wheat and all of my other goods. And I'll sit back and I will say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to this man, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? Then Jesus said, this is how it will be with whomever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus turned to his disciples. So he went from the crowd to his followers and he said, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you're gonna have enough food to eat or enough clothing to wear. For life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for God feeds them. And you're far more valuable to God than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over the bigger things? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. Seek first the kingdom, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything else that you need. Come on, isn't that a good scripture? If you're gonna take notes this morning, uh, we, we talked about the cure for a calloused heart last week. Today, we're gonna talk about how to heal a hoarding heart. How to heal a hoarding heart. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. Ready, here we go. Jesus, help, amen. Okay, that's all I need today. I just need some help. <laughs> Uh, if you follow my wife on social media, uh, you know that the two of us have a bit of a side hustle, which is how we uh, survive and, and are able to pay our bills here in San Francisco. Uh, for the last few years, her and I have been house flippers, home flippers. We're flippers, which is a weird name all by itself. But uh, we've been flipping homes for the last couple of years, and it's a really, really fun gig. Uh, my wife created a little hashtag on Instagram, uh, hashtag flipping biddles. <laughs> Uh, it's so that people could kind of track, you know, the before and after photos of some of the houses that we've done. And uh, more importantly, it's in case HGTV ever decides to approach us. We already have a name for a show and uh, it's going to be great. So uh, we've done a lot of projects and, and every project is unique and every project is challenging in its own right. Uh, but one of the most fascinating things about flipping homes is you get to see like how people live behind their closed doors. And People are crazy. Like there is some weird stuff we found in houses. I'm talking like shrines that were made out of like cat bones and, and uh, like thousands of pairs of sunglasses. And uh, I think one house, we, we found like seven outbuildings that were all turned into little like shacks that people lived in. In fact, we're doing a project right now where the son kicked the parents out of the house and forced them to live in a shed in the backyard because they got into a bit of an argument and then they lost the house. And so we picked it up. It's great. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> It's weird, people are weird. But the most challenging project we ever did was probably at the beginning of this year where we bought an absolutely bona fide 100% hoarder house. And I've never seen one of these things before, like on the A, uh, what is it, A&E channel or whatever, the, the hoarders show. Um, I'd never seen one in real life, but I got to see my first real hoarder house when we bought this one. And I think we have a couple of photos that I can show you, just kind of what the inside looked like. So uh, it's just, you can just kind of scroll through those. But I mean, every square inch of this house just had stuff everywhere. And that's a, yeah, pause there for a moment. I have no idea what compels somebody to do that when they walk up and down their stairwell, but just filth all up and down the stairs. And I mean, it was absolutely disgusting. They had literally 18 trailers, 18 dumpsters filled with stuff that they had amassed over the years. There were six cars, 
two boats and scrap metal everywhere. It was an absolute nightmare. Now, before I say anything else about it, um, would you like to see the after photos? Just, okay, okay. <laughs> I could just leave you there, but like someone's gonna get really anxious. You know, like, what did you do to it? So this is uh, my wife's design uh, abilities here. Uh, yes. Come on. She's just, they're applauding your greatness, babe. Uh, yeah, you can, it's just, it just looks so much better now, right? It's great. She's got an eye for this sort of thing. Uh, no, she's not available for hire, so don't, don't ask for that. She just does it for us. Okay, you can take them off the screen. Now, here's what was interesting about this house. They purchased the home in 2007, and we purchased it in 2019. So they were able to amass all of that stuff in a matter of 12 years. In 12 years, 18 dumpsters full of stuff. They just hoarded Every single day, these guys would go out and they would buy stuff to add to their collection. They had this compulsive buying disorder, this hoarding disorder. But here's what was interesting about the whole thing. While they were out there spending all this time and money amassing things for themselves, you know what they forgot to do? They forgot to pay the mortgage. <laughs> so while they had all of this stuff, they forgot the most important thing which was to pay the bills for the house. And so in a matter of two days, everything that they had spent years amassing for themselves was hauled away and it was a distant memory. They forgot to focus on the most important thing. I think that's what Jesus is trying to compel us to do in this parable. He's trying to remind us as followers of his that there is something more important we should be focused on when it comes to our resources. That we shouldn't spend the entirety of our lives amassing more for ourselves while we neglect what is most important, which is eternity. We're invested in the temporal, but have we made any investments into what will lie beyond this life? Because eternity is a lot longer than the 85 years we've got here. He tells this story about a guy and he says, there's this, this man and he had all this crop. He had stored up so much that it didn't even fit in his first barn. And so he, he said to himself, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a bigger barn. Let's tear that one down. Let me build a bigger one so that I can store all this stuff that I've been blessed with. He builds a bigger barn, he stores it all up and then one day he arrives at this place where he has more than enough and he says, I'm just gonna sit back and relax and enjoy everything that I've stored up for myself. But to that man, God said, you fool. You've lived a foolish life. You've stored up all of this for yourself, but you've neglected what is most important. You've been rich here on earth, but you were not rich towards God. And then he makes this beautifully terrifying statement. <laughs> he says, that's what it's going to be like for people who spend the entire portion of their life, the 80 some odd years they got here, hoarding to themselves, but never truly investing in eternity. Now, again, Jesus tells these parables because his whole intention is for us to see ourselves in this story. And I understand based on the, the, the parable he told here, it might be a little difficult for us as you know, 2019 Bay Area Christians to see ourselves in this, this parable. I mean, after all, you probably don't have barns. Maybe you do, <laughs> but they don't fit very well here in the, in the Bay Area. Uh, chances are very few of us harvest our own food. Like instead, we go to Whole Foods and spend our entire paycheck on what they've harvested. Like that's how we live. But I think the most 
seemingly irrelevant portion of this story is the fact that this guy arrives at some magical place where he has so much where he can kick back and say, I simply don't have any needs any longer. I have all the money, all the stuff, all the resource. I'm just going to chill and enjoy life. Come on, that's a pipe dream. I mean, how am I supposed to see myself in a story with somebody who has all this stuff and he never has to worry any longer? That seems impossible. Well, Jesus was addressing a largely agrarian culture in this parable, and thus the context of this story made a lot of sense to his hearers. And since we are not that culture, I'm going to do you a favor today. I rewrote this parable in modern terms, 2019 terms, for the Bay Area Christian. And then I'm going to ask the end of this. Perhaps maybe you might see yourself in the story. Here's how the story goes. There was a guy who went to college and spent a bunch of money to get a degree that allowed him to get a great job at a startup tech company in San Francisco. The compensation package was amazing, and so were the stock options. But after working there for nine whole months, he moved to another company with more benefits and higher pay. This pattern continued until he was able to lateral to one of the fang companies at a climax of his career. If you don't know what a fang company is, it's the big ones. Uh, Facebook, Amazon, Google, Apple... Netflix, thank you, okay. Ah, it's all coming together. Once he had achieved his occupational goals, he decided it was time to possibly consider potentially maybe getting married at the ripe young age of 42. After dating endlessly, just saying it how it is, after dating endlessly, he found the one and settled down, but as it turned out, the current studio apartment was too small for the couple and all of their possessions, so they moved to a one-bedroom apartment. And one day, the couple discovered they were pregnant. A small one-bedroom apartment wouldn't do any longer, and so they finally purchased themselves a home. The house was perfect until they had another kid, which resulted in more stuff and the need for more space. So after looking endlessly, the couple finally found their forever home and began the 30-year process of paying it off. Somewhere around the age of 65 to 70, the house was finally paid off, the stock market had treated them well, and they were finally able to sit back in a magical barn called retirement and enjoy the fruit of all their labors. Now, all of this, of course, is expedited if this fictional character ends up working for a great tech company pre-IPO, and that company goes public, bringing great riches his way. <laughs> now, throughout his lifetime, this man had been attending church, raising his family in the house of God, reading his Bible, looking very Christian. It never occurred to him that God had blessed him to be a blessing. He rarely, if ever, gave any of his money away. At best, he would tip God occasionally, but he didn't, definitely didn't tithe the first 10% of his income to the local church as the Bible commanded him to. Once, he saw a commercial about a natural disaster, and he gave to the Red Cross, and he seems to remember sponsoring a child once in a weak emotional moment during a church service, but when that credit card expired, he never bothered to update the information with that sponsorship agency because he justified, after all, that kid is probably an adult now, so there's no real need for me to give to that organization any longer. Selah. <sighs> Sound like a story that might be a little more familiar to our context? Yeah, Jesus is not telling some foreign tale that doesn't apply to our lives. In fact, he's illustrating the American dream. He's illustrating what every single one of us are working 40 plus hours a week to achieve, to run after a goal so that one day we might arrive at this magical place where we can sit back and we can say, relax, 
You don't have to worry anymore. You've stored up enough for yourself so you can just take it easy and enjoy the fruits of your labor, all the while neglecting to ever invest in eternity. And to that kind of a lifestyle, Jesus says, that is foolishness. That's foolishness to live that kind of way. To, to be so focused on the temporary things of this life without ever considering the fact that, in fact, the way we invest here might follow us into eternity. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not suggesting that you shouldn't save for retirement and that you shouldn't prepare for, for the future. There's plenty of scripture and plenty of Proverbs that would contradict that statement. So he's all about you preparing for the future, but not to the neglect of investing in eternity. Let me be your pastor for just a moment. Even though this might be a little difficult pill to swallow, you will stand before Jesus and you will give an account for the way you spent your resources on this planet. We will all sit before the judgment seat of Jesus. And if you think it's awkward that a pastor talks about it at a church on a Sunday morning, it's gonna get real awkward when you stand before Jesus and he begins to say, hey, how did you handle the resources I gave you? Well, Jesus, that was my job. I earned that. Yeah, but I gave you the ability and the capacity to understand, to have that kind of a business sense, to understand technology, to work in the medical field. All of that was a gift from me. Did you invest in anything eternal? James chapter five says that for so many on that day, the treasures they stored up for themselves on this earth will serve as evidence against them in eternity. Now, I don't say that to freak you out. I say that because I love you. I say that because I want you to be in a place when Jesus looks you eye to eye and has this conversation with you, you don't have to scramble and go, oh, but you can say, no, I invested in what mattered. I invested in eternity. I invested in people. I invested in the poor. I understood that I lived in the wealthiest nation on the planet and my resource was not mine to cling to or to hoard, but I invested it in other people. Like that's what I want us to be able to say as we stand before Jesus. I don't want it to be awkward for anybody. But we have to ask this question. And so I pose it to you this morning, as awkward as it seems. Where are you invested? Are you ready for that chat? Have you invested in all, at all in what is eternal? And that's not some like ethereal question. It's a very simple one to answer. Just look at your bank statement, look at your credit card statement, and you'll be able to answer the question Am I investing in what matters? Thank you, Joe. <laughs> now, I hate the feeling in the room right now, and so do you. <laughs> I kind of want to run in the back and drink some coffee. But here's where I get to prove to you that I am not going to use guilt and shame and strong-arming into getting you to make some compulsive decision to finally give. Because here's how a lot of pastors would respond to this environment right now. You feel that? That's greed. <laughs> Scrooge, Grinch, all the mean guys this time of year, that's who you are, repent. <laughs> Not gonna do that. I promised I wouldn't, and so I won't. Also, I don't think that greed is really our problem. I really don't. Like, Jesus said in Matthew chapter six that greed is a demonic spirit called mammon 
And it's impossible for a Christian to serve God and to serve greed. Greed says, I don't care who it hurts at the expense of everybody else. I just want more for myself. Forget the rest of the world. It's all about me. And I don't think a true believer can actually have that kind of spirit. So I don't think greed is, in fact, our problem. Let me, let me tell you what I think our issue is. In fact, I think Jesus tells us what the issue is when he looks at disciples after he tells this story. In Luke chapter 12, verse 22, he said, that is why I tell you not to worry about your everyday life. Let me tell you what I think our issue is. The whole reason Jesus told this story was not to guilt people into feeling like they were hoarding to themselves and they hated everybody else, is because Jesus understood the heart of man has this natural inclination to worry. He's like, I get it, you're worried. You're worried about whether or not you're gonna have enough at the end of the day and if you're gonna be able to make the bills and pay, I get it. He, he, he's telling you, you don't have a greed problem, you have a worry issue. Worry is the weapon that the enemy uses to attack the heart of a believer, which keeps us in this place of hoarding. And the worry is there may not be enough left. It's a fear of running out. Whether it's the fear of running out of money before the end of the month or the fear of running out of money before you run out of the rest of your life or the fear of just not being able to enjoy what you invest so much of your life building it's a fear. It's a worry. I have these conversations with people all the time at the church. People come up to me in the lobby and they're like, Pastor, I just love this church and thank you so much for it. It's amazing. And, you know, my life's made. But I, mean, you know, I heard someone say something about giving today and I just want you to know, like, we just can't afford to give. It's just like there's so many bills and there's stuff. And it's nothing personal. I don't hate you or hate the church. I just, I just can't do it. I don't have enough margin to give. I'm like, yo, breathe deep. You don't have to confess to me. Like, you can still come to this church whether you give here or not. Like, We'll pay the bills with or without you. Jesus will provide for his church. I'm not worried about it. You can take that up with Jesus. That's not my problem. I get it. People are worried. But, but let me tell you what happens when you spend your entire life worrying about whether you're going to have enough resource. Something gets into your heart. A mindset, a mentality, which is so not the heart of God. When we spend our lives worrying, we develop what I want to call a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset says there just isn't enough. There's not enough money. There's not enough time. There's not enough opportunity. There's not enough desserts on the dessert table. So I have to hoard all of these to myself because I'm afraid if I don't hoard, then there's not going to be enough left over for me. It's a fear and a concern about there not being enough. That's our problem. And before you feel guilty and ashamed, let me just tell you, this has been a systemic problem since the beginning of time. This is not a, you know, us today issue. This spans all the way back, the full breadth of scripture, starting in Genesis chapter one. In the garden, God said to Adam and Eve, hey, I got all your needs taken care of. Everything you need, it's right before you. All the food, all the opportunities. Oh, you're lonely? Here's a hot chick. I got you. Whatever you need, all right? There's just one rule. Don't eat from this tree. That's it. Just don't eat from the tree. The knowledge of good and evil. You can have everything else. 
But when the serpent and Adam and Eve had convinced themselves that what they had was not enough, what did they do? They took part of the tree. Fast forward, the Israelites have been delivered from Egypt and they're walking around in the desert and they start to complain about not having any food. And God says, I got you. Every morning you're gonna wake up, there's gonna be this stuff called manna. It's gonna be like dew all over the ground. It's like a little seed-like wafer thing, tastes like honey, it's amazing. With tea, sip it, great. I got you, just go out every morning and gather it. But hey, before you do, listen to me, do not gather more than you need for the day. Just gather enough for that day and I'll take care of you the next day. Just trust me that I'm gonna provide for all of your needs. So what did they do? They went out and they gathered, but some people didn't take God at his word because they were afraid that there wasn't going to be enough. So they gathered more than they should. And the next morning when they woke up, it had maggots, it was rotten. It wasn't good anymore. Achan, the Israelites get into the Canaan land and they're finally living in the inheritance that God had promised them. And God said, hey, for the first city, the first city that you go into and you conquer, I want all of the treasure, all of the plunder. Give it to me as worship. There are so many cities coming after this. You don't even know what I'm gonna bless you with. But as a sign of trust and worship to me, give me the first and the best and the rest is yours. One guy, Achan, takes the plunder, buries it in his tent. Because of his heart that said there wasn't enough, he was afraid that there wasn't gonna be enough in the future. A bunch of people had to die and he and his whole family got swallowed up by the earth. And on and on and on and on the story goes. You come from a long line of forbidden fruit eating, manna hoarding, treasure plundering, burying, scarcity mindset ancestors. That's where we came from. But listen, if you feel like some of that has gotten into your heart or that DNA is flooding through your bloodstream, let me echo what Jesus said to his disciples at the end of this parable and at the end of this dissertation. If you have developed a scarcity mindset to you and to me, he would say, that has no place in the mind of a believer. In verse 30, he said, that is how the unbelievers of this world think. People who do not know Jesus, who have not surrendered their lives to him, they operate with this mindset that there's not enough and so I gotta hold on to what I have. But as a believer, you should not have a scarcity mindset, you should have an abundance mindset. You serve the God who created everything. At the sound of his voice, trees and hills and waters and fish and animals and everything you see was created by the words of his mouth. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills he provides for every single one of our needs. And Jesus said, hey, think about the birds. They don't have to freak out about where their next meal is gonna come from. I provide for them. And the lilies of the field, I take care of them. They're beautiful. They don't have to make their own clothing. And if I care about birds and flowers, don't you think that you're a little more valuable to me than some crows in the air, some seagulls in the sea, and a couple of daisies in the field? Of course you are. It brings me good pleasure to provide for my children. So don't worry, don't freak out, don't concern yourself about the stock market in 2020. Just chill, breathe deep, I got you. If. because the crowd probably responded the same way we did. Yes, Jesus is going to provide for me, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, hallelujah. We should do more of that here. 
And then at the end of the whole thing, he says, if. He throws in this caveat. He says, if you want everything that I just talked about, not just the provision for your needs and the food and the shelter and the clothes and all that stuff, but truly, if you want freedom from anxiety and fear and worry about your financial future, here's what's required. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else will be added to you. Seek me first. Just as I told the Israelites to give me the first of the plunder, I'm asking for the first because there's faith attached to the first. The first says that Jesus, I trust you. Unlike the unbelievers of this world, I understand that I am not my own provider, that you provide for all of my needs, and so I give to you first. Before the mortgage company, before the car payment, before the credit cards, I am making a statement with my money that I trust you more than I trust the systems of this world. First. And Jesus says, if you will seek me first, you will enter into this beautiful place where worry and fear and tension about the financial future do not rule you any longer, but you can actually breathe deep and trust that you have a provider that will not let you go without your needs. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. I want us to live, yes, in the most expensive city in the United States where everybody is freaking out about whether or not they have enough. I want there to be hundreds of believers that have this audacious confidence that says, I don't have to worry about getting laid off or whether or not I'm gonna get a bonus this Christmas or any of that stuff because my provision does not come from the East or from the West, it comes from the Lord. I trust him, he's my provider, and I have done what he asked me to do. I have sought first the kingdom, so all of my needs will be taken care of. That's what I want for us. So, as I invite the band to come uh, to give the illusion that I'm done talking. <laughs> I love saying that. Let me make this very simple, very black and white. Ready? This is it. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. How do you heal a hoarding heart? How do you guard your heart against the spirit of worry that the enemy is using to attack you and keep you in this place where you want to hoard for yourself? Ready? Here it is. Hoard in heaven. <laughs> hoard in heaven. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't store, don't hoard up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths eat them, rust destroys them, thieves break in and steal them. Don't store your treasure there. Don't put your treasure in the back of the car and then park it in the tenderloin. It's going to get stolen. Okay? It's a dumb place. But that's what he's equating it to. He's saying, hey, you're putting your trust in the bank account and the mutual fund and the IRA. It's like putting your belongings in the back seat of the car in the TL. Don't trust that. No, instead, store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy. No thieves are gonna break in, break your back window and steal it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart this morning? Where are you invested this morning? I say it again, this is not some selfish ploy to get more for the church. 
This is because I want you to understand a conversation that is coming. And I want you to be able to look Jesus in the eye and say, I saved some stuff up for heaven. I didn't eat it all and use it all on the earth, but I invested in eternity. I want that for you. I want that for our house. And most importantly, I want us to live in this beautiful place of carefree living when it comes to our money. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.